The views expressed in this podcast are those of individuals and do not reflect those of the U.S. government, the Peace Corps, or the government of Panama. Hello, my name is Dan Lipkowitz and welcome to the Peace Corps Panama Files. In this podcast miniseries, each week I will be interviewing a different volunteer who is finishing up their Peace Corps service in Panama. We'll talk about where they come from, what led them to join the Peace Corps, and with each guest I'll tackle a different fundamental aspect of serving as a volunteer in Panama. We'll delve into what has been enlightening, difficult, and downright strange as they've navigated the cultural and professional journey of serving as a volunteer over the past two years. This week, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Molly Riley. Molly and I discussed how her parents' experience serving as Peace Corps volunteers in the Dominican Republic influenced her decision to leave her home of Georgia and come to Panama, where she's now a volunteer in the community of Bahia Onda. Molly not only observes the nuances that exist in daily interactions here in Panama and the silence that rests between the frenetic moments of our lives, but she also has the exceptional natural ability to take these observations and incorporate them into a greater understanding of her community and the individuals that live there. It was a privilege deciphering how the smallest features of our Peace Corps experience can have a large impact on us and on our communities as well. This was a fantastic discussion and I want to get right into it, so without further ado, the wonderful Molly Riley. But like Pinky promised right now, if I say anything humiliating, you'll take it out or we won't we won't publish this entire thing. Pinky promise, I'm gonna leave it in <laughs> and it'll ruin your future. <laughs> Forever. Damn. Yep. But you you already agreed to this, so you're you're locked in. You can't get out now. Okay, let's get into this. Um, I'm here tonight, because it's, it's kind of late. It's on the late side. It is. Way past my bedtime. Way past both of our bedtimes. I'm here, crushing a few drinks. Actually, keeping it pretty classy with one of my dearest friends. Uh, and a really, really special volunteer, uh, Miss Molly Lamar Riley. Uh, how you doing, Molly? I'm doing very well. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, so, first question. Right now we're in Panama City. We're yes. deep in Costco, Antiguo, Costco Viejo. Yeah. Which My favorite hotel, the American Trader. The American Trader. We can, we can give some oh. free publicity to this hotel. <laughs> it is the classiest place in Panama. Um, it's really pretty. It's really pretty. Um, and everyone's from a movie. Yeah. I feel Including like, the like forty-five people that were painting on on what's that even called? Easels. Easels. Yeah. We we walked into uh, a group of forty-five people all painting the exact same thing earlier tonight. On easels. Yeah. I feel like this hotel, <laughs> this hotel, which actually most of Costco Antigua kind of feels like walking into like the nineteen thirties or forties. Yeah, definitely. And this is like the classiest part. Of yeah, the and I'm wearing like fat flip flats. Fat strapped flip flops and like <laughs> a sports and, bra. And I'm wearing and I'm wearing <laughs> and a backpack. I'm wearing dirty jeans and the only clean shirt I have. <laughs> and by the only, I mean this is supposed to. This is the only thing I have to last me for the rest of my time. Yeah, but, um, you got a week left. Yeah, it's a week, it. so I think I can do it. It will smell. It will smell right. Um, but Molly. Tell us a little bit about where you uh, are living in Panama. What's your, what's the name of your community? What's it like? Uh, where's it located? 
So I'm coming from the Esquero region in Panama, the, the southern peninsula. I live in the province of Herrera, uh, near Chiche. Um, I live in a tiny community inland called Bayonda. Um, and Bayonda, uh, what size is it? What are the people? What do the people mostly do there for for work? It's a farming community. Um, they farm mostly sugarcane, corn, uh, beans, yuca, nyame. Um, I'd say I guess my site. What does it call your site report? It says there's like 300 people, but on some days I feel like there's like between like five and six. It's a very <laughs> tiny, tiny place. You can get crowded sometimes. <laughs> I think it's a sleepy town. And also, just a side note, I think the Asuero is uh, known kind of as the heart of Panama, and definitely kind of the cultural uh, heart of Panama. And I think your community, because I've gone out there, I've visited you out there, mm-hmm. it really is, uh, without uh, diminishing that it is like a, a real place <laughs> where people have responsibility, it, it is like a very yeah. quaint yeah. town. Um, and can you, for, I've heard this before, and I love it every time I hear it, but can you tell us a little bit about your hosted and uh, when was the last time he left his community and why doesn't he leave his community? So that the actual community is not hard to access. Um, it's about an hour outside of the regional capital. There's a paved road, a, bu- a regular bus. Um, it's manageable. There's actually commuters, people that work in Chiche and, and commute each morning. It's, it's a tiring commute, but it's doable. I'm sure there are people that live in the city that commute about that time, but the distance is just shorter. Um, my host dad travels only by, if he's not walking or on horseback, he's traveling by a wood, uh, a wooden cart that's drawn by two bulls, uh, and he's left with, he has not, he, he goes to surrounding communities by any, any of those means, but he hasn't traveled to Chiche, well I guess he traveled the, for the first time in my two years here to Chichre because he needed to go to the hospital. Um, he, in the first, for the first time in like seven years, seven or nine years, something like that. That's like an incredible. Absurd amount of time. I go to Chichre like once a week. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. Travels only by ox cart or horseback. Yeah. Tigre and Mancha. <laughs> Those are the names of the ox. Yeah. Cool. Um, so you're in Bahia on the beautiful beautiful community with your host family and your horses and your ox carts um but where do you come from back in the united states i'm from atlanta georgia uh born and raised in inside the perimeter um (laughs) but i went to school in massachusetts in, in northampton at smith college cool uh and i guess this would be a an apropos time to to talk a little bit about we just had dinner with your parents yes who are absolutely lovely um but they have a really uh excellent uh 
ability to relate to your Peace Corps experience because they were also Peace Corps volunteers both of them as well, right? Yeah. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I think that that was a huge inspiration for me in applying, or Peace Corps was on my radio radar for a long time uh, due to the fact that my parents uh, did Peace Corps pretty pretty soon after they were married. Um, And they served together. They served together together as a married couple um, in the Dominican Republic. Um, And that, I think, was a very formative um, part in the the beginning of their marriage. Definitely a test, testimony to their marriage. A test and a testimony? Definitely an intense experience. Um, And also something that informed sort of I guess the upbringing of their children and, and um, it had always been on my radar and I graduated from school without I, I definitely applied to Peace Corps before I graduated it was a long process so it was always on my radar and I think I owe it to my parents for that that's that's really lovely um, so Peace Corps Definitely was, like you said, it was on your radar. It was something that you had in the back of your mind, probably for, I assume, a very long time, just because hearing your parents' stories growing up. Um, were there, what kind of factor uh, pushed you over the edge and led you to commit to Peace Corps? Um, I'm feeling a little embarrassed. Why? No, no, no. Uh, There's so much talking. You're doing an excellent job. I, I've done... A number of podcasts <laughs> by now, and I can say this is one of. The I don't want ones. to speak for my parents. No, I'm um, not. I'm asking about you. I'm asking what, like you, you knew about your parents' Peace Corps experience, but what, what made you think? Because because Peace Corps is, is like it's a big commitment, you know, and it also I think, uh, it's not just a big commitment, but it's a commitment that involves uh, isolating yourself and separating yourself from person. your culture and pretty much everyone you know. So I think. I correct me if I'm wrong, but I assume that there was something other than just knowing that your parents had uh, done Peace Corps that made you think I this is something that I want to do and this is something I'm prepared to do. Yeah, you're right. I had a, I've been from a young age interested in international, like traveling abroad, um, and kind of had an understanding that that experience is made more fulfilling when you know the people. Like you spend some time. Um, and I guess Peace Corps was sort of the automatic uh, avenue by which I would experience that. Um, another in- encouraging uh, agent that I've had in my life, I guess, was a mentor in college. Uh, I kind of was on the I was going to apply to grad school or was as I was applying to Peace Corps and sort of decide between the two and he, my mentor told me not to go back to school just because I thought it was what I ought to do, but to go back to school when I knew that's exactly what I wanted to study because uh, it's an expensive hobby and he's right. Uh, Peace Corps is not, um, not a lucrative option necessarily, but it, it's not as, like, it doesn't put you as, as much in debt. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a Peace Corps service. Yeah. <laughs> You're a volunteer. Um, so I decided my ambivalence about school, I decided I'll delay that decision and I'm just going to do something that's sort of out there. And I I know ultimately I'm a, I'm a homebody and I want to be around my family, but I... Uh, I was worried if I went back right after college that I'd spend there and I'd settle down and I'd never go back. So this was like the moment for me to go. Yeah. And I uh, almost didn't because I went home after graduating and I I really enjoyed being there and it was it was hard to leave. But I don't regret it. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, I think particularly it, that that difficulty of of uh, I, I definitely also wrestled with that, like that difficulty of, of separating myself from everything that I uh, knew and and loved to come down here, uh, and I I don't know you can you can. Let me know if you also share the sentiment, but I think that it's kind of strengthened my experience down here, just because of be, because I had to kind of throw myself in head first into this experience. It means that I've really had that mentality of like I got if I'm going to do this, if this is something that I'm really gonna uh, that I'm really gonna try out, I have to go 100% all the way for it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's definitely impacted kind of the way that I've observed my community and the way that I've digested the experiences that I've had here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that actually kind of leads me to uh, one of the main things that I wanted to talk about with you today, which is kind of just uh, this, I, I had my conversation with Karen, my interview with her, and we we tackled uh, an issue that was uh, that was a little bit difficult to articulate. I feel like this is going to be another idea that we might have to cooperatively wrestle through okay. to disentangle. Uh, but one thing that I've recognized about you, uh, I recognized it about you during our training, but uh, it's become even more uh, apparent to me as I've seen you succeed as a volunteer is you're, you're just a very keen observer uh, and you really have an ability to take, uh, take count of the small things, the minutiae, and also kind of the silence that rests between the moments and being able to interpret that and read that into a deeper understanding. Um, and I don't know if, do you, well, first off, do you feel that way about yourself? And if so, uh, what do you think has led to you having that unique perspective and that unique ability to, to read into those moments? And also to just uh, be settled in those moments. I feel like you're, you're very, a lot of times when we come in here as volunteers, uh, they'll say like you have to be used to, you have to be uh, open to awkward moments or like strange silences. And I feel like you have been able to embrace those in such like a beautiful way and turn them into not awkward moments and not awkward silences, but into like a greater, a greater integration of yourself into your community, but also just a greater understanding of what's going on around you. 
Well, thank you for that, those words. <laughs> it's a huge compliment. <laughs> it's I, just the way I feel. I, yeah. I find it interesting that you think that about me. Uh, those awkward moments, I feel them pretty viscerally, painfully awkward a lot of the time. I think that's just sort of how I maneuver in life, in Peace Corps and out of it. Um, but I also find a lot of joy and humor in them. And uh, I think that's a realization that I did not have in training, but have come to in my service, uh, is that that isolation, I think some of, there's a component there, just being so alone and having to find the, the humor in, um, in the uncomfortable moments. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been able to do that in my community. I think that's actually been one of the most uh, fulfilling aspects of my Peace Square experience is those bewildering relationships that I have with people. Uh, that just leave both parties sort of laughing and probably coming to completely different conclusions about what just happened. Uh, but there we are, and it happened, and uh, I can't tell you anymore because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I continually con- uh, am encountering those those silly episodes um, but also in the meantime little by little getting to know people as my language and my language ability improves um, and also just the shared experiences whether they're they're under mutually understood or just simply shared I don't know I don't know where those lines come in but um, I definitely have my, the relationships that I have with a few, not all the people in my community, but a few have been pretty, been a big turning point for me, I think, in my my ability and comfort in socializing. So yeah, those like little small moments where those silences, I don't think they were always as comfortable as you might have, or might be interpreting, but they are they are or I make them funny I don't know which one it is to my own my own mind was there a moment for you when it like clicked when it switched over from being something nerve wracking to something that you really just like training was nerve wracking for me Mm -hmm. like that was a really I was surrounded by I mean the other my other fellow Peace Corps volunteers are just phenomenal human beings uh, whether they're interacting with other Peace Corps volunteers or, or Panamanians. They just have a really wonderful, graceful way of interacting with the world. And I feel like I just don't carry that same grace. And there's a lot of anxiety kind of wrapped up in the way that I interact with the world. And when I moved alone in the community, my I guess my way of coping with that was through humor and I kind of was trying to figure out how to articulate it to my family and a lot of times the way I describe my family is through scenes of the TV show Arrested Development if anyone's seen that it's just like it's incredibly uncomfortable just bizarre Mm -hmm. show but like there's wittiness and 
kind of underlying humor that takes a little while to get used to. And that's exactly kind of how I feel. I want to say that my experience is. I can't say that that's a, that's a shared experience understood by both parties but like that's kind of how I coped with the experience of feeling so different and laughably different <laughs> I well first to backtrack a little bit I think you saying that you lack that grace is you're being quite humble I think you're you're very much the the cream of the crop of our group I definitely view you in that way and then I think but I wouldn't necessarily disagree with the fact that it's like a different type of grace that you apply. Um, and I think often my experience, my personal experience, my experience talking to other uh, volunteers, and especially what I've heard from my own community members now as I end and finishing my service, is that those small interactions, those uh, the the small humor. Uh, that, that kind of uh, finds its way uh, into our daily lives here in community uh, has the greatest impact on us and our experience and our own kind of introspective development down here and also has the greatest impact on our community members. I think uh, when I've talked to community members as I'm leaving, they're not, often they don't reference the organic gardening projects mm-hmm or the reforestation, or the teaching in the school, often what has affected them most were the ghost stories that we told, or that one time that we laughed about, or that that one inside joke that we had. And it's usually those small things that have the greatest impact. And I remember that you, uh, when we had dinner earlier tonight with your parents, you were saying that your, your parents went back to the Dominican Republic, went back to their community years later. Yeah. with you as a young child. And 20 years later. Yeah, 20 years later. And there were two uh, grown men who immediately remembered your mom, but even before she got out of the car, and recognized yeah. her face. And I, I mean, I obviously was not there. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I assume that when they recognized her, they weren't thinking she was the one that helped us build that school, <laughs> but they were remembering some time that they shared a cup of coffee with her, or those little things. So I often think that maybe the grace found in those little moments ends up being much more significant in the long term. I hope that's true. I I, um, I hope that there's an affirming presence that's left after these were volunteers. Like mm-hmm. not so much that oh your community needs to grow and there's progress to be made, which is an inspiring story to tell, but also just sort of like an, a general uh, affirmation of their existence and their, um, yeah, affirming their way of life and their being. Uh, and that, I, I, I can't say that that's how I conducted myself throughout my service, but that's sort of been the the goal of mine. I don't know if Peace Corps would want me to hear it. That's to be on record for Peace Corps. <laughs> no, I think that, that definitely there it's is. Yeah, it's difficult because as. It's the first, it's the first, like, 
step towards progress. Yeah. With all that progress that's made is futile if the people don't have that sense of ownership. Yeah. And I think a lot of times as Peace Corps volunteers, our projects are assessed in quantitative in quantitative manners. So they'll say, how many trees did you plant? How many people did you teach? How many things did you build? What did yeah. you grow? And the qualitative aspect of that, the qualitative successes are, I mean, they're much more difficult to articulate. So those often aren't as accentuated, but they they end up meaning so much more. Yeah. Um, and I think... I think maybe you referenced earlier that uh, as your Spanish has gotten better, you've been able to implement that, that humor. But I think maybe there's even an advantage to starting uh, as a Peace Corps volunteer without having such strong Spanish. Because in that same way that you can't, there are those uh, inarticulable aspects of success and progress in those communities that you can't. Uh, maybe you can't say in numbers or maybe even words or that you can't contain in like a, the short period of time that we're there but only you only see grow uh, by experiencing it and maybe over a longer period of time I feel that same lack of uh, ability to communicate in language might assist you in being able to connect with people in ways that are that exist outside of language you know I think that there are certain uh, kind of like intangible aspects of feel or aspects uh, of living in a community or certain feelings that that we encounter and being able to share those moments and maybe you, like you don't even have to attempt to, to yeah. break it down but those end up forming these Your super strong bonds. Yeah, I think sometimes just simply being present more than me being able to. Speak and communicate says something a lot. Me attending some, attending a school performance, a graduation, or or showing up to a birthday party, or simply just like buscando una sopa. <laughs> yeah. Like that they've been guardando. Like just being there, I think speaks a lot. Absolutely. More loudly than. I can't than being able to communicate necessarily verbally because I actually honestly don't communicate. A lot of my relationships are just like me showing up and then being not tough to ask, but being like just like a flood of like I'm, I interpret like sounds like a lot of talking, but like they're just like simply expressing themselves and can talk for a long time yeah. without a response from me. And honestly, when I start to try and respond, they get bored and start talking about something else. <laughs> and I and I listen again, and so it's, yeah, I don't know that language. I guess it's helped me in that I can understand exactly what they're saying, or not exactly, but más o menos what they're saying. Um, and I don't think expressing myself is expressing my personal beliefs is necessarily like their prerogative or what they're interested in. Well, I think that there is sort of selfish isn't the right word, but there is a very uh, individual aspect that I that I think community members experience having a volunteer in their site 
in the last interview that I talked about with Nick, we talked about how when you're in such a tight uh, when you're in such a tight knit community where families and and people there are so entangled that usually you can't find and you can't encounter other avenues for self-expression or for self-exploration. And I think having a volunteer come to your site gives these people, like when you, when you sit down on their porch, it gives them uh, a, a way to express certain feelings, share certain stories that maybe they've had locked up inside them that they haven't been able to figure out the right way to express it and now they feel like oh like this person is someone that I can bounce my ideas off of or at least this is just someone that I don't have a super calcified relationship with them so I can do things that that I that I can't do with anyone else that I know um but yeah I think that I think that the there's a lot to be said about silence as a volunteer both mutual silence, like those shared moments of silence that you have with community members and what's communicated through them, and then also just the, the uh, tool that silence can be for a volunteer yeah. in assisting their community and being able to use that. And I, I guess for me, silence has sort of like negative, I don't know why I like it. I think it does have a negative connotation in the United I'm States. I don't know why it does, but it... I'm trying to think of why that makes me bristle a little bit, but I wonder if some of it is that I... I do see that openness appearing, like, in, uh, occurring in some of the relationships that I have in my community. Um, and I don't think necessarily my language, my, like, ability to speak Spanish has... It's not that they know... You know, I haven't shared every aspect of myself with them, and I'm sure if they knew a lot of aspects of my, a lot of facts about my, me, they would probably like me less. Um, but they might, but they still trust me in this moment, and they've kind of let go of some of the, like, the pena that they have. Mm-hmm. Like, I can arrive at Margarita's house when she has her hair you know, her hair dye in mm-hmm. and her front door is closed, but I can walk in the back. Um, so we just got our drinks on the house, <laughs> which was pretty solid. That was the interruption. Not, not, not bad. planned. Not planned. Not bad at all. Um, but I think you're talking about how, how you've been able to use silence to pierce kind of certain boundaries in your community and kind of the Panamanian culture that you feel like you either just, or maybe with silence, maybe it was your presence there uh, that have allowed you to kind of like enter these small worlds that you feel yeah. like otherwise are generally pretty private. Yeah, I think I'd like to think it's my language ability that's improved. Um, but I wonder more if it's just sort of people have gotten used to me being there. You know, mm-hmm. and I can show up at someone's house in the middle of an intimate, or they're not, I mean, um, dyeing their hair with the toothbrush or something, and I'll hold the toothbrush and rub the dye into the roots of their hair. You just sort of moments that you reserve only for yourself or for your immediate 
close family members. And not that you want the whole public to see, but I can kind of walk in on some of those with a few uh, mem- community members, and they're not, you know, mortified. And knowing that is a is a huge honor to me. And I don't. I mean, I wish I could attribute it to my Spanish skills. And talk my way into their lives but I don't know if that's true I think they've just become used to my presence and um, and trust me which I um, I like <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it feels it definitely feels it feels really good to be trusted and I think maybe that maybe that's what I was referencing before or at least part of what I was referencing before when I was talking about the, the aspect of mutual silence mm-hmm. and the idea of you and another person both being comfortable, uh, just being like silent with each other and being quiet and not feeling the need to say uh, things to each other and at the same time feeling completely comfortable that you could say anything yeah. to the other person. And I feel like those have been like the truest moments uh, initially kind of, kind of like what you explained it was very nerve-wracking to enter that pass-out culture to go from house to house mm-hmm. to have those conversations to have those awkward uh, kind of long pauses in, yeah. in conversation with people but now it, there's a different type of pause in conversation yeah. that's and really comforting and my endurance has become and I'm sure as, as yours has as well become more evident when I've had visitors who are not familiar with the Pasear mm-hmm. culture and they're, they're well for instance my parents were Peace Corps volunteers and are, are vaguely familiar with or remember a long time ago their, their the necessity for this when they were doing it and they have the tolerance of like a two year old they cannot do it <laughs> and I am finishing up my two years and I'm, I'm frustrated and we're arguing over their ability to pass AR and I realized <laughs> that I've grown a lot in that sense which is I've grown a lot in my ability to sit in awkward silences with people um, because the conversation is not um, it's not particularly interesting and like attention grabbing a lot of repetitive stories that I've heard again and a lot of just like it is hot. <laughs> that is. <laughs> it is very hot. And that is probably <laughs> the most commonly heard and said because we're all guilty of it too. Hace <laughs> calor. And then what you eat? What yeah. did you eat today? <laughs> and then how do you eat? And just any any version of like what could you eat? Would you like to eat? What do you feel like eating? Food, it's good, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I guess my endurance for that is way higher, which I am actually super proud of in front of my parents because they always wanted me to go sit with my grandparents. And I never knew how to sit with my grandparents Mm -hmm. when I was little. And now I'm like dying for the opportunity to go home and sit with my grandparents because... There's so many stories that I never had the patience to hear. Mm-hmm. And, and 
I on I I think that's been a huge like change in my values of becoming a Peace Corps volunteer is that like I always associated myself with a home buddy and a family person. But I never had the skill or ability to sit and listen to the history that um, I that that constructed that home that you came out of, yeah. Uh, and yet I've gone for two years sitting and quietly listening to these completely uh, random uh, random people that I would have never, ever interacted with otherwise. And I've loved them. I, I respect entire like, have an enormous appreciation and respect for them, but they're so... Um, out of place in my life experience that I'm not sure it'll be really hard to incorporate them back into it. I hope to, but it'll be a challenge. And it's also taught me that I want to listen more to like the, the histories that, that are living around me that I, I haven't heard. Yeah. I think, I think that the Peace Corps experience is definitely, well, first off, you that was a perfect transition into I was gonna ask you what takeaways are you gonna have from your experience and you just went right into it. So well done. Um but I think that Peace Corps in so many ways is kind of training for these certain uh views that we will hold for the rest of our lives. I think one of those views is that like the conversation doesn't end with words, you know? Yeah. And that there is whether it's a greater context, because I, the way, at least, the way that I view conversations with my, uh, with my community members is not from a single visit, but I, each visit is just a continuation of that ongoing dialogue between us, whether it's in words or whether it's just in feelings or shared experience. Um, and I think that takes, like, an incredible amount of patience. And then once you have that patience... You're and able and endurance, yeah, patience and endurance. And then once you have that, you can rem- you can start dedicating that att- that attention that was previously distracted and then eventually concentrated on being on that endurance. And now, once the endurance comes naturally, you can apply that attention to really enjoying that experience and reading and seeing it in a larger context. Or, or appreciating what valuable things you can read from those experiences. Um, like, yeah, I think that that's a, that's a very, very eloquent point, Miss Molly Riley. <laughs> um, we should wrap this up. <laughs> How long are these podcasts? These five. We got like, oh, I got one more question for you. So we'll wrap it up. Don't worry. Are you tired? Yeah, I am. Okay. <laughs> um, so, last question: What uh, what are your plans once you go back to the states? You head back home soon. Yeah. What are you going to be doing? So I I bought my ticket yesterday. Cool. I leave on the twentieth of May. I'm going to be carrying two cats by myself. Um, one in each arm. One in each arm. Did you get this like in my I- jacket and the other in my backpack? I was yeah. gonna say, did you get the psychiatrist uh, note no, as therapy I'm analyst? Yeah, I'm, like I'm probably gonna send them under if the 
apparently, actually, I was just speaking with someone, it's up to the pilot how many pets they want to allow on the actual board. <laughs> There's one pilot. It's like, so I have a crate. Room. I'm going to put them both in a crate. I'm going to argue that they're below 20 pounds and they travel better together and also on my lap. So it's more beneficial for everybody if we all just travel as a family. <laughs> it's likely, though, that the both babies will go underneath in a pressurized cabin. Uh, Julia's cat's Julia's and cat and, and dog, dog arrived. Okay, I'm hopeful um, that that's a safe and humane way of transport. I'm not sure that there is a safe and humane way of tra- tra- <laughs> traveling with couple kitties, but or with I'm, humans generally. With humans. <laughs> yeah. But if there is a way, I'm sure they figured it out already, and I don't know. Um, so anyway, you so and your cats will make it back to the will US. will go back on the 20th of May. Well, well, it's a short flight, four hours to Atlanta. Um, and I have zero plans, so um, I'll move in with my parents, and that will be hard and um, annoying. And it will be another trial of patience be, and endurance. It'll be uh, it'll be it'll be a short while while I'm there, and then hopefully there'll be some apartments. Pop- my southern accent's already popping out; I can feel it. Um, <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> um, but I, I'm going to look for, I want to enroll in like a non-matriculating Spanish course for okay. the state or something. I want to be in Atlanta. I've got grandparents there. Uh, if I can find, I want to be able to travel pretty easily between Atlanta and Baton Rouge just to my grandma. Very interested in sort of spending the time. My grandparents are ill, so I'm interested in spending time with them. Um... Professionally, um, I have absolutely no idea. You running for office? No. I brought this up with Nick last time. So yes, uh, I could. I would love to see a, a Governor Molly Riley someday. Lamar. 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 Vote Lamar. Um, no, I. I think I'll. I'll end up at school at some point. I just have to decide what that schooling will be. Um, there's some organizations in Atlanta that have me excited, and if I have a good opportunity, I'd move to New Orleans or Baton Rouge. But otherwise, uh, Atlanta is, is where, where my my network is. Yeah, I'm well, pretty confident something will come up, but I shouldn't speak too confidently. I think I think you can speak as confidently as you want, because <laughs> um, I'm sure that wherever you end up, you will be spectacular and you will continue to bring smiles to to so many faces and continually bring a smile to my face whether you are near or far well I hope you're there I will I hope that I get to I I will not say hope I say I will get to see you back in the United States yeah oh absolutely and so until the next time I see you and we have a late night conversation where your southern accent comes out. Uh, thank you so much for joining me for thank this you for having me. episode of Peace Corps Panel Files. It's and been a pleasure. It was an honor and a privilege getting to talk to you, Molly, as always. Um, and thanks for being such an incredible friend over the past few years as well. You love it. Oh.